Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 6. So we had our Christmas time, and I, I shared a couple of what I call one-off sermons, just something the Spirit had dropped in my heart. But I did tell the board that I would be getting back to our series on the church it's at its best when. And so this is part 6, and we're still in Acts 6 because... Even though on Friday I was thinking about doing something from Stephen's life in Acts 7, there's just something else that I just felt loud to, uh, to speak to, something that's kind of passionate and important to me from Acts chapter 6, so I'll continue with that. But because this series has spread over some time and spread over Christmas, let me just remind you, because I know you want to know this, let me just remind you what we've covered. Uh, the first part of the series, The Church It's At Its Best When, I discussed this, that the church it's at its best when we preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, the church it's at its best when we recognize Jesus as Lord and Christ. Third, the church it's at its best when we preach Jesus as healer, the God who heals us. Fourth. We are, the church is at its best when we are one in heart and mind. And Pastor Jess covered that today in her prayer. And number five, the church is at its best when we work out our problems together and glorify God through it. So that's good. But the church is at its best when today. So I put a little bit of tease. How many of you follow us on Facebook, the church on Facebook? Okay, so yeah, you guys know where I'm going because I already put that out there on Friday. The rest of you... You can just sit there with bated breath and anticipation. Yeah, it's, I know the curiosity is killing you. Karen, wake up. There you go. Okay, good. Maybe the curiosity isn't killing everybody. Acts chapter 6, are you there? Let me read verses 3 to 6. We've covered this a little while ago, but not in the detail, not, not the way I'm going to handle it today. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Remember I read this a while ago? We will turn this responsibility over to them. The responsibility is to take care of some widows. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the 12 apostles said. That was their job. The proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells us that he will build his church. You know the rest of it. And the gates of Hades will not prevail or overcome it. None of us in this room, I think it's fair to say, none of us disagree with that. Some people are concerned with what kind of church humans are building in the name of Jesus. But we know that Jesus is going to build his church and we know that he works through people. In the book of Acts, we see the early church. I don't think the 12 apostles felt they were building a human institution, a, a monolith with their names on it. I believe they believe the church was the representation of Christ on earth his body. The church was made possible because of his death, his burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It comes to life through the rebirth of the Spirit in the hearts of the redeemed and is empowered by that same Spirit. 
in order to share the gospel and to do the works of God that he commands. It's now 2,000 years later, and the church has had many ups and downs. It is a fractured church to be sure, all kinds of denominations, emphasis, and flavors. But for those who are born again, they are the body of Christ. As a famous king once said to a painter, warts and all. In Acts 5 and 6, the writer is Luke. And Luke is more than willing to let us look into the life of the first local church, warts and all. You have the church growing, expanding through language and culture, taking care of the lost and their own, moving in the power of the Spirit. And unfortunately, if you've read chapter 5, unfortunately sometimes even finding some to be lying and stealing and topping all of that off with perhaps division. Like I said, Luke lets us see it, warts and all. If you and I are hoping to find a non-wart church, good luck. You can leave one church to go to another, and you can create your own church. But what I think you will find are different faces, similar personalities, and people with warts. Like Bono said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So why study this passage, Acts 6, Again, remember I read the passage back in late November and taught about the church sorting out language and cultural differences. Well, this morning I want to dig in here again because there is still gold to be mined. One of the criticisms of local churches is that they are structured poorly. Sometimes they're called an old boys club or a friends club and there's no room for fresh faces and new ideas. Some people don't like how the church is run, finances, emphasis, leadership, etc. My sister Bonnie blew me away one day. My sister Bonnie is um, the second oldest of the girls, and she is the third oldest in our family of six. And um, she is the most outspoken. And for years, uh, she went to church. And in fact, was her and her husband were instrumental in... in um, Starting a church outside the city of Sudbury, they were like on the ground. They were the first members working with the new minister there, getting the church up and running, and it still exists to this day. But over the years, I don't know exactly all of the details. You know oldest siblings are complicated. But somehow or another, over the years, she, she decided to walk away from church. She just quit going to church. But I remember one conversation we had about a church in finance, and she said this to me. She said, you know, she says, I don't mind tithing to the Lord. It's just tithing to church that bothers me. And she said, you know, I'm just concerned sometimes with what they do with they, right? And she knows I'm they because I'm a pastor. She says, I'm just concerned with what they do with the money. And so I mentioned this. Some people don't like how the church is run as it relates to finances or emphasis or leadership. And I want you to know that I've heard that firsthand from my big sister, Bonnie who I'm happy to say these days is back on track with Jesus. You might have heard me use the phrase, running the church. Let me pardon the expression, running the church, but let me use it as well. A local friend of mine said recently, the church is a movement, not a monument. 
So in a sense, it needs to be run or it will become a monument, something that we stare at, but that has no real life. There is some local opposition, and by local opposition, I don't necessarily mean this church or people in this church, but in the Windsor-Essex area. There is some local opposition and perhaps more widespread opposition these days to the idea of a local church and the running of a local church. And again, I'm going to continue to use that word, sorry. Some would tell you these days that we don't need local churches or at least not structured the way they are in the 21st century. Local churches are too organized, too institutionalized, too political to be of any spiritual use to the kingdom of God. Their answer, if these people cannot bring change, they want, they want to leave their local church, leave it completely, and choose to worship on their own or with family members or with a few friends. But they're leaving the bigger institutionalized local church to form their own community, which is still a church regardless of the size of it. But even in those small groups, those non-churches that are really churches, someone will decide when they meet, where they meet. Someone will choose to share from the Bible. Someone will lead in prayer. Someone will lead a discussion. Someone will want to reach out to others. The group may be smaller, smaller, but for all intents and purposes, it will operate just like the local church they left. What might be different? is their leadership, and with that, their spiritual emphasis. My best guess of some of these breakaway groups, these protest churches, individuals tired of the status quo, is that you won't hear so much what they're preaching for, but rather what they're preaching against. And they aren't against sin, injustice, and brokenness of this world. Their preaching is often against the rest of the church of Christ, if indeed they would even give some other churches the right to be called the church of Christ. They would see it. The church is broken, and as such, the church's doctrine is broken. It cannot be fixed because of people like me. And so an exit takes place. Now, I'm not talking about people who leave one church to attend another church because they like the newer church's emphasis, worship, preaching, or programming. That happens all the time. That may not be the best thing, but we know that it happens all the time. I'm not talking about people who feel they need a new start somewhere else because something happened and a new venue might be a healthy solution for that. I think that sometimes is necessary, believe it or not. I'm talking about people who have given up, given up upon any agreed idea of what a local church is in, is in the 21st century. So this morning I'm not preaching against them, but I want to share with you and give you confidence that the idea of a local church in a community, whether it's 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, 250 people, 500 strong, or 1,000 strong, is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. The New Testament, your New Testament, is filled with stories about local churches. God let the church grow in this manner. It was organic. It was healthy. It was powerful. Again, I'm addressing chapter 6 because it shines a light into the early growings and runnings of the church. The issue from lesson 5 was, was that people of a certain language and culture, Aramaic Jewish widows, were being overlooked in their personal care. The plan, 
as I mentioned a few weeks ago, was to create a leadership team to provide for those ongoing needs. The church wasn't running well, so let's fix it. The key, the key to this was not so much a new program. The key to this was a new leadership team. And so what I want to focus on this morning is the importance of godly leaders to a local church and that it's the leadership of the church that determines something that determines whether or not something is healthy not the size of the church and not even how the church is programmed or deprogrammed and so what I want to focus on this morning is the importance of choosing godly leaders because that's what this section is about and how godly leaders contribute or hurt the health of a local assembly. Now, we have to understand this, is that this secondary group of, of men that was chosen to take care of the widows uh, didn't have authority throughout the whole church, but they were given a specific task to take care of a specific need. Yet, there are principles in the choosing of these leaders that I think you and I need to consider whenever we're considering leadership in our church, whether it's pastoral leadership or it's our deacons or it's our ministry leaders or it's our volunteers, because to some degree or another, if you're involved with ministry, whether you're connected to somebody that's older or to connected to somebody younger. Even if you're serving under a pastor or a deacon or somebody else, I think the characteristics and the traits that we're going to look at today are very significant for having a healthy church at every level. Because one of the things that I've come to appreciate is not, it is not just that we have healthy leaders at the top, but that we have healthy leaders all the way through, if I can use the word again, the ranks. So, they've got an issue. The Hebraic-speaking Jewish widows aren't being well cared for, and they decide to do this. Let me read it to you once again. Here's what's going on. Verse 3 of chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then it names the other guys. Verse 7, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests or even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So let me look at this. How do you choose your leaders? What should you do? I've got it broken down into three areas here. The first thing that we need to understand is God's role in all of this. The second thing is human uh, role in all of this. And then third, the importance of people being asked to do things that they can actually do. So let me deal with this. First of all, God's role. Now we have to understand here that these, this church, this first church in Jerusalem, wasn't asked to choose the apostles. Jesus 
chose his apostles, the 11, and then finally a, a 12th was chosen by Lot. So the church wasn't choosing apostles here. That was done for them once and for all, at least when it comes to the first 12. However, the selection of the first 12 reminds us of God's role in all of this. And I think that's very significant to us in a local assembly, that everything begins with God, or everything should begin with God. Amen? Now, I know you don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but thanks for amen in any ways, risking it for me. Everything begins with God. Understanding this is that as members of the church, we, we recognize that there's human leadership given to the assembly, but we also understand that, first and foremost, it is Christ's church. He's the one that suffered, bled, and died for it. He's the one that rose from the dead so that it might have life. It is his church. And every man or every woman working in a local assembly always has to remember that. Because sometimes it becomes our church. And it's not our church. At best, it's on loan to us. So it's God's church. And so when we structure it, when we organize it, when we program it, the idea is, is that we're doing it in a way that pleases God. And the best way to do that, that it pleases God, is that it is biblical. Is that the structuring or the organizing or the programming is, is biblically based. Because that's the only way we can really know if it has the approval of God or not. And so point one, it is God's church. But God does release, quote, the running of his church to people. If you read on in the New Testament, as the church grows and expands, God tells the apostles to add human leadership and to recognize spiritual giftings. And the gifts are from him. So we have pastors and teachers and deacons and deaconesses and prophets and other kinds of apostles and evangelists and the such. And you can read about the details of that in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Timothy 3 and some other passages as well. But the gist of it is in those two. The idea of these gifts to the church, these positions, these offices, is for the building up of God's people who are the church. The church is the people, not the buildings. However, when we get a bunch of people together, there needs to be some kind of organization, some kind of structure, some kind of direction. A church that doesn't make room for the gifts of the church family can't be much of a church, in my opinion. It's hard to do uh, what... Uh, it's hard to do that when, for some of us, the motto is simply, us four and no more. So it's important here that we understand that it is God's church. It's not our church. It is God's church. And God releases responsibility to people, to leadership that is clearly delineated in the scriptures in order to run the church. So the apostles here look at this need and they say, look, it's our, it's our priority for prayer and the word. So choose seven people from among you. And, and look, look what they say about this. And, and this is where I kind of want to get into the, a little bit into the nitty gritty of, of the text here. And just expressing some of this, how local churches should operate, some of the key gifts and things that they should have. 
The first thing is we understand that it's, it's all by God. God begins and starts it all. The second thing is, though, that God does hand leadership off to people. And in this case, it was seven men. But there was criteria for the seven. And I think that that's what's important here. Is it wasn't just seven anybodies. Look what it says here. Look what it says here. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose, never mind the number. I know seven is the number of completion, but never mind the number. Choose people, choose men from among you. First of all, it is saying this. Choose from people you know. Not just from people who go here. The Jerusalem church. Choose from people you know. Let me get into that. That you know about. The whole idea here, the thought behind this is that you are to choose from people you know. In other words, you're to know enough about them that you can discern, that you can ascertain whether or not they would have the giftings and the temperament to lead in that area, which is making sure that the Hebraic widows get their proper food. Don't pick from people you don't know, and don't pick people that you don't think have the giftings and the temperament to do what needs to be done. Choose from among you. Don't just think that when that was said by the apostles, that it was just like, well, it doesn't matter how long they've been going here. It doesn't matter what their giftings are. It doesn't matter whether they're good people or bad people. Just look for seven warm bodies. Remember back in the good old days? It seemed to be the criteria. It was hilarious. I was, oh, Pastor Jess isn't here now. But Pastor Jess was sharing a story with us last week that when uh, her and her cousin were going to the Sturgeon Falls Church, they were both teenagers, they had hardly been saved. And th they came up to Jess and said, how would you like to run our Sunday school department? True? True. Give me seven warm bodies. I don't know if they can do it or not, but it needs leadership. We need someone to say that there's leadership. So here, let's give it to them. That's not what it's saying here. Don't give it to anybody. Don't give it to just anybody. Choose from, from people among you that you know that you think would be good in that servant attitude, right? So when we're, when we're choosing leaders, whether it's pastors or whether it's deacons or it's somebody else for something else, some other ministry in the church. It, it isn't about, you know, are they family? Are they friends? Have they been going here a long time? Do they give a lot? But, like, but would they be good choices to do that job for which we're asking them to do? Do they have the ability to do it? And do they have the temperament to work with others who may be asked to assist? Which is critical. I mean, if I could say anything to those of you that are in any form of leadership, either here at church or at your workplace, is that I think those two things are very important. Can you actually do what they're asking you to do? And if you can't resign or ask for more training, you'll save yourself a lot of headaches and, and everybody else. And also the temperament. The temperament. Do you know what I mean by temperament? Your ability to work nice with other people. Now, no stories. No names. 
But you know what I'm talking about, whether it's at church or whether it's at your workplace, where you're working with some people that every night you come home at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and you got a story about the crazy employee or the crazy boss who lost their mind once again, and you're wondering why you stay there. And you know why you stay there. you got bills to pay, right? And, and what you're saying is, They don't have the temperament. They don't have the temperament to lead other people. They don't have the temperament to work with other people. Hopefully you're not one of those people, but if you were one of those people, it would be great if you had the self-realization to understand that if that's you, don't be that. You're making it hard on the rest of us. It doesn't matter how good you are at it, but if you can't work well with and play nice with other people, especially in a church, that's not good. Because we're volunteers. We don't have to be here. We're not getting, well, I have to be here. <laughs> and, I, and I show up. But God, God lets us choose our folk to lead us. But let's make sure that when we're choosing people to lead us, that A, we, we know who they are and what they're about and what they would be like to work with. It then goes on to say, it gets even to more detail than this. It goes on to say that they would be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Wonderful criteria. Let me break down the tasks for this job. There were older women in the church who weren't getting the needed food supplies. They needed somebody who could make sure that the food supplies was properly transported to the different ladies, to these different women, wherever they were. Somebody had to be there with an iPad saying who they are, where they live, and what they need, right? So some organizational skills were necessary. You needed somebody who could administrate some of that. You probably need some servants that could carry the boxes, you know, of, uh, of food or whatever it was that they were bringing to them. You needed all of that. I say all that to say this. It didn't sound like a hard job. I mean, how many of you in here think you could have done that job? I think I could have done that job. I could have helped with that. Just me? I need more help, folks. Raise your hand. Thanks, Isaac. I appreciate that. I mean, this doesn't sound like this is like splitting the atom here. It just sounded like like a regular job that you would find in the church. We need someone to organize some people to take care of these people. We could do that. And yet the requirements were this, that they would be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And I'll tell you why. Because it was probably easy to find people that could do the nuts and bolts of it, but it was the temperament part. These people were already ticked off that they were being neglected. They were already a little bit, right? So you wanted people with the right temperament, people that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and not, knew how to kind of soothe the problem, you know, the, the emotions that were affected here, and at the same time put into place a structure so that this would never happen again, and also that pieces could be added to it so as the church continued to grow that they could anticipate the future needs. But again, I don't think rocket science, but in the church, in the church, we need leadership that's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. If you could find this at your workplace, you'd love that too. 
You'd love some people at your workplace that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Unfortunately, you know, that's not a church, and they don't have Christians in charge of a lot of the places where you're working, so that's not even an option. But, boy, you've gone home and thought, wow, I wish. I wish we had some Holy Ghost people here and some people with real godly wisdom running this, because this doesn't need to be this. Look what the response to this is, verse 5. That it please the people. It wasn't that it placated the people. It wasn't just that, hey, finally somebody's looking at this. I mean, they hadn't even drawn up a plan yet. They just chose the people. But because they choose men who had been recognized as being filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom, the people already had a sense in their hearts, this was going to be cared for. This was going to be done right. Because the prerequisite wasn't this. Who's got organizational skills or who knows how to run a Mac? Lauren. Not Brent. But who's full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom? And there is a sense, these are the kinds of leaders that we need. So, how to choose your leaders. First of all, we always have to make room for God. We have to make room for God. This is God's church. This is God's ministry. It's God's worship team. It's God's board. It's God's kids ministry. It's God's youth ministry. It's God's young adults ministry. It's God. It's all God's. Belongs to Him. We are servants of God. And so we choose people, we choose people that, that make sense in the sense that they are full of the Holy Ghost and they are full of wisdom and that there's an understanding that they are chosen by people who know something about them. In other words, they've been tested. I think that's what this is saying. It certainly speaks about testing in other areas. In other words, don't give somebody position unless they have proven themselves to be faithful, not only to have the competency, but also to have the temperament. And those that are in positions of leadership should understand that those that lead over them, that serve over them, that they are responsible to, will hold them accountable to the competency and to the temperament. It's not enough that you can just do it right. You've got to be able to get along with the folks and realize that they are God's church, God's people, God loves them, and how we, God is very concerned about how we treat others around us. You may not find that at work, but you should certainly find that at your church. So, God's the big part of this. The 12 apostles make a proposal. They add seven, which as I said earlier is the number of completion. Seven people filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And nobody would know if they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom unless they had been tested, unless they had been known to the people, that they've been among you. How they act in good times and bad times, when everything's going well and when everything is falling apart. How are they under pressure and stress? Because leadership brings those two gifts to your home just like Santa brings presents to your home on Christmas Day. If you've been in leadership... You know the weight. You know the weight of that. Pressure, stress. You understand that. 
Do they have a servant's attitude? Are they just as likely to pick up a broom or put away a table as they are to sing, preach, and lead? Doesn't mean that we're not gifted differently, but are they just as willing to do that? Do they really have a servant's heart? Are they faithful to the house of the Lord and its ministries? How is their character? Do they look and sound anything like Jesus? Do they speak well of others, especially in leadership? Are they people filled with the spirit and wisdom? Are they the, the kind of believers that, uh, that uh, do these things willingly and out of a grateful heart or under compulsion or under the hope of being noticed and advanced? Deacon or deaconess is a nice English word, but it's derived from a Greek New Testament word that means servant. It's not very glamorous. Leading the church may be a lot of things, but it's not very glamorous. As your pastor, I offer no excuses for you desiring that you place six spirit-filled, wise people around your pastoral staff. Again, call them deacons, call them deaconesses. As some of you know, some perhaps more than others know, there has been periods of time in the last number of years where your leadership team has had to deal with very difficult issues. And at the same time, hire and assimilate new staff. Complete the forward committee. Introduce a building plan. And now with the help of a building committee, we are moving into a full-fledged building program. I can't tell you how grateful I have been as your pastor that you have placed around the pastoral team six godly, spirit-filled, wise people. Leadership does, doesn't just matter. It's everything. Please don't vote for, for people as your deacons or for positions of volunteers in the church if you don't know that these people have the metal to endure, if they're not totally committed to Christ and this church. I say that unapologetically. This church. I know as Christ followers, we are committed to the church of Christ around the world. But when we're putting people in positions, whether it's working in the youth group or it's working in the nursery or it's deacons or deaconesses, that they must be committed to this church. You're a member of this church. You should be committed to this church. This church should be your priority as a member of this church. I say that completely unapologetically. You should be committed to your church and giving your best to your church, warts and all and working to make it the best church it can be by cooperating with the leadership in order to work through the problems like this particular church is doing in Acts chapter 6. There was a problem. People were being overlooked. They didn't call for a riot or a protest. They said, let's get seven godly people together that can fix this for us. If you send your pastors, people, other than these kinds of people, this church is in trouble because leadership is everything. Notice that after the people chose the seven, what does it say that the apostles did? The apostles prayed for them 
and in that prayer gave their seal of approving, approval and blessing. They ratified the people's choice and prayed their blessing and their anointing, their gift, whatever they could, on them or upon them, and everybody worked together. What were the results of strong leadership? Verse 5, it seemed good to the people. Verses 2 and 4, people were placed where they're at their best, and when people are placed where they are at their best, they do their best. Verse 7, the result of all of that is it tells us that the church grew. Numerically for sure, but I'm sure spiritually as well. So let me wrap it up. The church is at its best when we choose our leaders wisely. For whatever area of ministry that we might choose them for. So it's God's idea to establish local churches. The church in Jerusalem was just the first one. We hear about one of the disciples that came from Antioch. What does it tell us there? Well, that either that was his spiritual influence, or that he was converted at that church, or that he came to Jerusalem from that area. But we do know that later on, a church was established at Antioch. And a church was established in Galatia, and Cappadocia, and all of the other regions, and Berea, and Athens, and Corinth and Philippi, and Laodicea. I mean, it's God's idea to establish local churches. Local churches aren't a bad thing. Local churches are God's idea. What makes a local church good or bad is the leadership within the church. And God tells us that we ought to be careful choosing our leaders, whether it's our deacons or our deaconesses, whether it's our pastors, whether it's our ministry heads, or whether it's just somebody that's volunteering as a helper in some area of ministry. It all matters because we all bring something into the room. We all bring something into the ministry. We all have some gifts to share, and we all have a personality that everybody gets to rub up against. Hallelujah. Our responsibility is to choose our leaders wisely, and Acts 6 tells us that they should be filled first and foremost with the Spirit and with wisdom. Nice way to say that, folks, is they should just be filled with God. They should have proven themselves to be competent and godly. They should serve and lead. They should be spiritually gifted and not simply academically educated or trained. They must be able to serve and lead in all seasons of a church's journey. They cannot simply be your friends unless your friends possess those qualities. These leaders cannot simply be your family members unless your family members possess those qualities. They must have the temperament to serve and to lead in any area of the church because the church faces challenges, not only from within or from without, but spiritual challenges as well. And they need the necessary temperament. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom in order to deal with the adversity, which sometimes comes from within or sometimes comes from without. But at the end of the day, we must glow Jesus Christ. God's church, his local church, is too important. Its mission and its reputation too critical to adopt anything less than a spiritual eye for our leaders. 
failure to choose proper leadership will ultimately lead to the local church failing. 